0: What a blessing it is that we can indeed say that our Savior is risen. And a happy Resurrection Sunday to each of us. We come here this morning and we often call it Easter Sunday. And we recognize that on Thursday we spent time hearing of the command that Christ has given us to love one another as He has loved us. And that He has loved us to the point of going to death, even death on a cross. Of His own will, that He might reclaim His people. And on Friday, He goes to the cross. We call it Good Friday. For it is good that our Savior would willingly go to a cross in our stead. Saturday we have this in-between where we know our Savior has given His life and Sunday we get to celebrate knowing that the life that our Savior laid down, He has freely taken back up again for He has been given the authority to do so. We serve a risen Savior. We do not worship a dead God, a pile of bones, a religion without power. No, instead we worship a living and vital God. And our Savior is now ruling at the right hand of the Father. That He is ministering on our behalf. He is bringing us before the Father. And one day He will return bringing about the blessed hope of the believer coming in power to once and for all judge both the living and the dead. I do want to offer my thanks for those who joined with us for our Maundy Thursday service. I mention that service in particular because we had a chance to look at the first nine verses of Isaiah chapter 11. We saw Christ as being the true shoot of Jesse, The descendant of Jesse who would rule God's people and who rightly and most deservedly wields the authority to rule his people. And as we open our Easter Sunday service, we're going to finish off Isaiah chapter 11 together and we're going to focus on the second half, verses 10 to 16. But we will read all of 11 so we can kind of get the flavor of what we talked about on Thursday and come to what we would like to talk about today. So Isaiah chapter 11, starting in verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not destroy or hurt in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. into our passage this morning, In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt, and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath, and strike it into seven channels. And he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel. When they came up from the land of Egypt. This is God's word. Would you join with me in prayer? O Lord our God, we have heard your word. Now Lord, we ask that you would give us the ears to hear and the hearts to attend to what you have spoken to us by your word. That we might know that this truth is living and active that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword and that it would divide and cut asunder in our hearts the sides of our personality, that it would trim out the, the fat of our life that has clung on to us for far too long. And Lord, that your word would be applied to our hearts that we might know you, we might grow in our love of you and grow in our likeness of your Son, Jesus. Your Son, Jesus, who is both the shoot of Jesse and the root of Jesse. The promised Savior. The only path that we might know you and be reconciled to you. Lord, may we know you and may we be reconciled to you this morning. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to list eight people. Tell me if maybe you think you might know them. King David, Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr., Cleopatra, Winston Churchill, Rosa Parks, Alexander the Great. Joan of Arc. I think I can safely assume that all of us at least have heard those names. Many of us would be able to give at least some manner of summary of their contribution to world history. But these eight names, they are eight people of different cultures, different genders, different stations in society. And separated by millennia why would they be names together in the same sentence this morning think about human history every society in every age from every culture all of them have found people men and women to rally around sometimes for good reasons sometimes not so much I could just as easily have included in that list I gave Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin. But each of those names I've mentioned were figureheads, people around which masses rallied based on their leadership or their causes or their positions. And each one in their own right changed the course of human history as the people flocked around them these influential men and women. But by no accident, the Lord has determined that no influence would be so great as that of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. On Thursday, we discussed the character of the one whom Isaiah called the shoot of Jesse. We also looked at what his kingdom would look like. He is called in verses 1 to 9 the shoot of Jesse, which identifies him as the descendant of Jesse and ultimately fulfilling the promise given to establish the kingdom of King David. But now in verse 10 we have a shift. He was the shoot of Jesse, but now he is called the root of Jesse. Isaiah had established the Messiah as the one who would proceed from the line of Jesse fulfilling that covenant to David, but now he reminds us that although Jesus came from the line of Jesse, from the line of David, and fulfilled those promises, he was also the very foundation upon which the world and Jesse's house was built. Our Savior is much more than just the shoot of Jesse proceeding forth from some human line but he is also the root, he is the very foundation of all humanity. Reminded of Psalm 110, which was written by that great King David, none in Israel was greater than David except Yahweh, and yet David wrote these words. The Lord, meaning Yahweh, says to my Lord, which we know to be Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This root of Jesse was to be so great indeed that even the great King David would call him Lord. When we look at our passage this morning, a word that we need to... Understand is a word that we use in everyday language and it never means terribly much. That. But when we put that into our passage this morning, verses 10 and 11, in that day, in that day, which day? Today? Yesterday? which day across scripture there is a promise of that day we're always looking forward to that day and that day is the day in which Christ will return in which his reign will be established forever and importantly it is also the day when God's holy judgment will be rendered before and by Christ We're promised in verses 6 to 9 of Isaiah 11 that when Christ reigns, it will be a time of everlasting peace, unrivaled peace, a return to peace even greater than that of Eden, a day where the knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Let's hear Jesus' description of that day from Matthew 25. Just try to picture for a moment what this will be like. Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. The king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundations of the world. Down to verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This morning, obviously, we gather on Easter Sunday and we recognize the eternal effects of the first coming of Christ. That he would come and be made flesh, that he would live the life that we ought to have lived perfectly in accordance with the commands and laws of God. And although he lived a perfect life, he died the death of a sinner, of a criminal. A death on a cross that was designed to be the greatest torture that mankind could come up with. And our Savior, innocent, willingly subjected himself to that. And that was not the greatest torture that he endured. For late in the hours upon the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for the first time, He was separated from his father by the same sin that separates us from the father. And he died. He gave up his spirit. He was buried. Spent three days in the grave. And on the third day, he was not to be found in his grave. For he had risen. This was good news, he had risen, and he appeared to many as he had risen. And then he was glorified, taken back up to the Father, promising that as I go, so I will come again. Even as we gathered around the Lord's table on Thursday, we proclaimed the Lord's death as we partook of the elements together. But when we partake of his death, we proclaim the Lord's death. His death until when? Until he comes again. We proclaim the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, for we know he is coming back again. It is not a shameful thing for us to say our Savior has died, for he has risen and he will return. Our passage this morning speaks of the fact that on that day, on the day that Christ will return... Christ will stand as a signal for the peoples. That word signal, I don't think, gets across the full meaning there. The idea there is that of a banner. And not just any banner, the standard that would be raised by a company on the battlefield. If you're familiar with a little bit of military history, that standard bearer was an indicator of where this military unit was positioned and had a bright and colorful standard or flag that would act as a beacon to the surrounding soldiers. And the soldiers were ordered to follow and stay close to this flag or standard and that would maintain the cohesion of the unit. And then a single commander could look and see this is where the position of his troops were. Being a standard bearer was an honorable position but one of considerable risk as a standard bearer was a target for the opposing troops seeking to capture it or pull it down. The symbolism of Christ as the standard around which we assemble cannot be lost on us. The banner would be raised and the company would rally around it. And just so Christ was raised, And now we rally around Christ, the standard of our crucified and risen Savior. Paul quotes Isaiah 11 in Romans 15. The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Contrast that language of promise hope for the Gentiles with Isaiah only really uses this language of a standard one other time at this point in his prophecy. That's from Isaiah chapter 5. If you looked at Isaiah chapter 5, starting in verse 25, you would hear this. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he stretched out his hand against them and struck them, and the mountains quaked, and their corpses were as refuse in the midst of the streets. For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. And in verse 26, he will raise a signal for the nations far away, and whistle for them from the ends of the earth, and behold, quickly, speedily they come. None is weary, none stumbles, none slumbers or sleeps. Not a waistband is loose, not a sandal strap broken. Their arrows are sharp, all their bows are bent. Their horses' hoofs seemed like flint and their wheels like the whirlwind. In God's fierce judgment upon his people, he raised up a standard over them. Not a standard to rally his people, but a standard to rally the wicked nations, these violent nations, to his people that they would be judged by these nations. The juxtaposition of these two promises. That God would raise a standard over his people. That they would be judged by them. That they would be cut down by them. And then on the other hand, that God would raise a standard over his people. Raise a standard from his people around whom all the nations of the world would rally. All the nations of the world would come not to slay his people, but to worship at the foot Of this one who has been raised up one of these a promise of impending judgment and another of impending hope and it is entirely dependent upon two things primarily the divine offer of hope and salvation and subservient to that God also required that his people would turn from their wickedness and pursue him and him alone Throughout Isaiah, there's this constant theme of a remnant that God would preserve for himself, even in the midst of his judgment on the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, that God would preserve a remnant and one day that remnant, that faithful remnant, those few who would remain faithful to what he has commanded, that God would preserve them and one day he would lift them back up. And true to his word, the Lord did not destroy his people, nor were they utterly cut off. He preserved that remnant, and when God raised Christ up as the standard, things changed entirely. And it's worth bearing in mind that these prophecies, especially in Isaiah, have layer upon layer of fulfillment. Israel and Judah prayed for the day that they would be returned to their land. And they were promised that they would be brought back into their land. And they were. But that was only layer number one. Above that, there was this hope of Judah and Israel that they might have a Messiah, that one day God would send a Savior to lead and rule God's people. Then even further in Christ, they were given a hope of an eternal reign, of an eternal kingdom. And this morning we find ourselves in between steps two and three. Today we stand under the true rule and reign of Christ. Christ is Lord over all things. This was inaugurated in Christ's resurrection and glorification that we celebrate. But yet we do not see the fullness of that reign because we await the return of Christ. So we wait for the day where we can gather in truth and in reality around the standard that is Christ. But we also see that we have already gathered around Christ. He has already begun gathering the nations unto himself. I love hearing all of these songs that we sing on Sunday mornings and oftentimes throughout the week, knowing that these songs that we sing of hope, of the joy that we have, the peace that we have, everything that we have been given in Christ, knowing that these are only the foretaste of the hope that we have. We wait for the day where we can taste it in its fullness. I bring that up to remind us that it is right that we acknowledge these promises as being at least partially fulfilled in this day, We can read this promise in Isaiah 11, say that Christ, the root of Jesse, has been raised up, and yet we wait for the day where all nations will rally to his banner. I want to show you two more things from our passage this morning. First, I want us to see that those of us who gather around the banner that is Christ, those whom would identify under his flag, as it were, that our gathering is to be characterized by incredible unity. Take a look at verses 12 and 13. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart and those who harass Judah shall be cut off Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. And with Paul importing the Gentiles into the language of Isaiah 11, we can see that the four corners of the earth here extend beyond just the assembly of Israel, the dispersed national Israel. Indeed, it is that all nations will assemble before God. People, God's chosen people from every corner of the earth, would assemble before this standard of Christ and we can also see the healing of the great divisions that have long separated God's people Ephraim and Judah other names for the northern and southern kingdoms of divided Israel and there was deep-seated enmity between these two fragments of the United Israel remember Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. She was shocked that he would even talk to her. For she was a Samarian. Samaritan. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Even the enmity that these two who would not even speak to one another, Jew and Samaritan. The hostility between the Jew and the Gentile, That they would not even be allowed to talk to one another, visit in one another's house, share one another's food. All of this would find itself reconciled in Christ for those who would believe. But is it reconciled on a whole scale level? Is there still enmity enmity between Jew and Gentile? Of course there is that enmity, that strife between Jew and Gentile, between the Jews and the Samaritans, it is only reconciled for those who are in Christ. This idea of unity is just rife throughout the Bible. David in Psalm 133, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Peter, 1 Peter 3. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Paul in 1 Corinthians 1. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. The kind of unity that is commanded of the believers come only in the kingdom of the one around whom we rally. The peace that we see reigning in the first or the second half of Isaiah 11 is the, only in the kingdom of the shoot of Jesse, the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see just a fraction of it today. I am absolutely blessed to know that there is incredible unity here in Elk Point Baptist Church. I know that there is deep-seated love for the brothers and the sisters represented here in this room, but we do not have perfect unity. There will be personality clashes. There will be theological distinctions. There will be different worship preferences that will be talked through over and over. We will not always agree with one another. We will not always be united in all things. And yet, overall, there is this sense of unity here. But it is not perfect unity. That perfect unity comes with the fully zoomed out, big picture, eternal future of the church. When we see Christ face to face, when we have the opportunity to worship Him together as a body in eternity, there will be no more disunity. There will be no more arguments as to whether or not a drum kit belongs on stage in a church. We will worship together as one. There will be the total resolution and healing of all of the differences between God's saints. Imagine what that would look like. No drama between believers, no church drama, no struggles with one another, but a totally united worshiping body from all nations. Incredible. And our world yearns for that kind of peace. Our world, I mean the, the whole system of governments and rule of law and countries It's designed to establish some manner of peace. But ultimately, the peace that we come to in our world is a kind of a manufactured peace. And as with any man-manufactured thing, we are imperfect creatures making imperfect creations, and one day our creations break down and fall apart. Even the peace that we can manufacture eventually falls apart I hate to break it to you but the trajectory of this world outside of Christ is not peace where this world is heading without Christ is not towards peace it's not towards reconciliation it's not towards some kind of scientific utopia where we can all just gather together and rejoice that we have figured out all of the world's problems and we can now have peace with one another. This manufactured peace, this godless peace, will fail. Looking at in that day. We have the promise that in that day, God's people will rally around the standard that is Christ. And that will bring great unity and peace for God's people. But in verses 14 to 16, But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east, and they shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the Sea of Egypt and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels. And he will lead the people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people as there was for Israel when they came out from the land of Egypt. You will see the language there being the language of the Exodus. And I don't know if you remember... How the exodus turned out for the peoples that were against God's people. Not well. What is coming is like unto what God promises through Isaiah to the people of Israel. God will miraculously and powerfully contend for his people. And all of their opponents will be swept away before them. God has always been and will always be about the purpose of his own glory. And secondarily to that, for the good of his people. Paul said in Romans 9, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy? which he has prepared from beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, Those who were not my people I will call my people, and who her who was not beloved I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. Peace in this life, peace in this world, will always be temporary at best. For those who are outside of Christ, that peace will be manufactured and fragile and will burst like a bubble. For those who are in Christ, that peace that we have is only found in looking forward to the greater peace that we have promised in Christ. Whether for the believer or for the lost, the peace here on this earth will always eventually find itself disturbed, for we live in a world that is against Christ, against any of the things of Christ. Outside of Christ, we are promised that there is no hope of anything but judgment, and that the only way to evade said judgment is to rally around the standard, which is Christ. The world has thrown up all manner of other standards for us to cling to and hope in. But the only one with the strength to stand before the coming judgment of God is the standard of Christ. The wrath of God towards sin and all our unrighteousness was poured out upon Christ on Calvary. God has shown his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the coming wrath of God. And now, even today, Christ lives not held by death, for death could not hold him. We can find our hope and our unity in the shoot of Jesse, the root of Jesse, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one way, truth, and life, Jesus Christ. And all this united in the hope that for all the joys and good things that we have seen in this life, it is but a fraction of the joy that we who have trusted in him as our Lord and the Savior will know in the eternity that is to come. So I encourage us to take the time to look in our own life. I know I can speak for everyone here that we desire peace. We all desire peace in some manner or another. Maybe it's on a micro scale. I just wish my kids would stop bickering. Maybe it's on a macro scale and you take a look at what the world is doing and go, I just, the world is such a mess. I would just love it if everyone would get along. We all desire peace. But that peace is not to be found outside of Christ. This world is heading for judgment. Judgment. And if you wish to find that peace, if you wish to find a peace that passes all understanding, then you must look only to Christ, for there it is only to be found. So trust in Him. Trust in the root of Jesse that is the foundation of all our hope and all our peace. As the worship team comes to bring a Closing song this beautiful Easter morning I hope that each one of us would know the peace that comes only from Christ I ask that you would join with me in a word of prayer our God and our Heavenly Father we come before you this morning incredibly grateful that you have sent your son Jesus Christ that he came and lived and died and rose and that he is now reigning at your right hand. May we never forget, may we not for a moment take for granted what you have done. May the worship that we bring you this morning, recognizing that it is Easter and all of these things that Jesus has done, may it extend forward from here. May we not only recognize these things on these special holidays, Easter and Christmas, but may we look and know that every day is a new day. Every day is a new opportunity to bring you the honor and glory and praise that is due your name. May your people worship together in spirit and in truth, O Lord. Lord, may we not leave this place and say we've done our good bit of church and then move on to something new but may the truth that we know that we have discussed here that we have worshiped you for here infect every part of our lives may we find our root and our hope in you at all times and lord what a blessing it is to know that we as your people have gathered around a standard that will never fall That we as your people have gathered around the standard of Christ knowing that he is far greater than anything in this world may we share that hope with everyone who does not know it may we share that hope with everyone who would listen that they too might come to the banner of Christ that they may come under your flag into your kingdom Oh God, what a blessing it is to know you. What a blessing it is that you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you. And we pray that you would again take us before yourself by your Spirit. That we might worship you rightly by a work of your Spirit. Praise things in Jesus' name.